to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Today I am joined by my co-host, the NBA Outsiders, John Lucas Duffy and Frank Villani. But before I get to them, let me remind you that this podcast is on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and also on the Team Left Jab radio feed on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Anywhere that you find podcasts, look up Sports Blog New York Podcast or Team Left Jab Radio to listen to the shows that we're putting out there. And today's show was NBA heavy because the playoffs are around the block. I just told you my boys Duff and Frank were here. And speaking of those boys, oh, we're in it, boys. 20, 20 games left. 20 games left in the NBA season. It's coming down to home stretch. I mean, we had a lot to talk about today, didn't we? Yeah, it was a hefty episode for sure, but we, we were due for one of us. Sorry, folks. I don't, I don't know what you want us to do about that. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of things to hash out uh, about what's to come and even things that have passed because, like you said, it's been two and a half weeks. So uh, we got you on that basketball talk. And that basketball talk is what we do. It's what we did here. And it's a little bit of a long one, but we hit everything we need. And if you like this show, it means a lot to us. If you go on iTunes, our podcast app, leave a rating, leave a review, which people do every once in a while. And recently, I noticed a new review on our podcast, Sports Blog New York, iTunes, Apple Podcast app. That was extremely flattering, Duff and Frank. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, if you've heard it yet, but here it is, and it's a friend of the show. So Gabe Allen said, I'm a tad biased as a former guest, which he was. He's a great guest, big NBA guy. But Pete Kennedy is a character, and this podcast is always enjoyable. It's very nice, Gabe. He went on to say, this show features, and this is the real kicker, this is an amazing line, this show features enough measured opinions and scalding hot takes to satisfy both the angel living in your heart and the devil dancing on your shoulder. Is there a better mm. review than that? That was, that was beautiful. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I am joined by my co-host today, the NBA Outsiders. It's been far too long, my friends. What has it been? Two freaking weeks? Two, two and a half? I don't know. But all I know is I'm happy to be here with John Lucas Duffy and Frank Villani as the playoff push in the NBA has commenced. It's getting very real here in the NBA. And who better to be chatting with than my two main guys, Duff and Frank? What's up, fellas? What up, what up? What's going on, Petey? I'm glad to be back. It's been too long, like you said. Petey Peps, how you doing? How you been? Been better, been worse. How you doing? How you been? i uh been watching some hoops. I have been intrigued with some players. You know, there's a lot of things going on with, like, teams that kind of don't matter. You know, like, watching like guys like Trey Young bowling out. You got the Knicks winning a couple games, which we're going to get into in a moment. But then there's obviously the big teams, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Bucks, the Warriors, Thunder, Nuggets, the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers are, are headlining the national shows uh, on TV and radio across the country. So there's there's a lot of storylines going on in the NBA. And just a quick outline here, we're going to hit on some of those playoff push storylines in the Western Conference. Who's the biggest contender to the Warriors? Uh, who's going to snag those last spots in the West playoffs? And then obviously we have these big four uh, monsters in the Eastern Conference with tons of stars and tons of good players. It's going to be very interesting once playoff comes around. And I don't know if we're going to have this whole thing like the finals aren't the climactic point of the of the NBA playoffs, but leading up, we're going to have some incredible matchups, so I can't freaking wait. But nonetheless, Duff, 
we got some stuff going on here. We got some rumblings coming around from different podcasts, different sources. Uh, maybe your sources, maybe not your sources, maybe no one's sources. Maybe this is all made up stuff. But you've been telling me you got a question for Frank and I that you withheld from us before this podcast. So my uh, uh, reaction and Frank's reaction will be raw, will be unfiltered. And Duff, prompt us with your next question thing that you have for us here. So th- there's been a lot of buzz about Dolan selling the Knicks, but not the building, not MSG as the, the TV channel, I guess. Like that, everything that comes with, whether it's the Beacon Theater, the Forum out in L.A., or like Radio City, or the, the building, Madison Square Garden itself. But he wants to sell the team, the Knicks. For $4 billion, that's the number being thrown out, whatever. I don't know anything about that necessarily. But my question is, is this really going to, like, Knicks fans and me, like, I'm not a Knicks fan, but I'm excited because he's just a bad owner. Like, what? what is, is this really going to make a big difference if he's still in the building? He's still around. He still has carte blanche into who gets in and who gets out of his building. Who's banned and what reporters say anything about him? Is this really going to make a difference in the Knicks culture if he sells the team, but not the place where they play and where the fans come, who will still say bad things about him? Is basically he still seems like he will be this tyrannical figure that's hovering above the Knicks if this if this goes through and he still is in owns the actual building where they will be. So is this gonna like my question to you as Knicks fans? Like, do you think it's really gonna make a big difference in in the the story of the Knicks and what surrounds them, or is this kind of like shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic, where it's it's really not gonna mean much? Uh, I think it'll change because, I mean, you know how much how much say will the landlord have, uh, so to say? Because I'm pretty sure a new owner would come in and you know, hopefully run the ship a little bit differently and be a little bit more hands-off uh, as opposed to... But the, the way it works is they he owns the building and they'll basically rent it from him during, like, this stuff. Like, that's how he's going to get his... how he's still going to get paid for it. So, yeah, part of the story well, he's here... he's also going to get... It, they value the Knicks at $4 billion, but I was reading an article... Uh, might have been Frank Isola, I'm not sure, but they were saying that... it. He wasn't going to sell it for less than $5 billion. That's just what the valuation was. All these NBA teams have been selling for far more than what they're actually valued at because, because of what future projections and things like that. So he's actually looking for more than $4 billion from what I've heard, um, which is kind of crazy. But I could see someone doing it because I think it would be a big status thing in New York. Like Of all the sports in New York, the Knicks are like the one team that I feel like Almost all New Yorkers are behind. Uh, as you can see, they have, I think, 15 wins now. 16 wins. Please correct me if I'm wrong. 13. But, don't, uh, don't get ahead 13. of yourself. Sheesh. Uh, but they still sell out home games night after night, pretty much. Um, I was still looking at next Kings tickets for next weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they still so, got Celebrity Row filled up with people, 100%. And that's really it, right? It becomes a party. Like, if you're the owner of the Knicks, you are now one of the the power make like the power you own power in New York in the biggest city in the world. And that means something. And you have now basically infinite tickets to give out to all your friends, all your famous people, anybody you want to hang out with in your boxes, on your courtside seats, whatever. So 
why would somebody not want to buy it? The thing, go back to Duff's question real quick here, like, does it matter? I've reached this point as a Knicks fan, and it feels like even blasphemous to say, like, I don't care. I don't, I don't think it makes a difference. Like, I don't think if Kevin Durant doesn't come to the Knicks, basically, right? Is this, this is what it comes down to. This is what this whole thing is even a conversation about at this point. Because we've been screaming to fire, like, to get rid of Dolan, not fire him. We can't do that for him to sell for years and years and years. It comes down to <laughs> will a max free agent, will Kevin Durant or a Kevin Durant like player sign with the Knicks or not sign with the Knicks because of James Dolan? And I just don't think that Kevin Durant is like caring about James Dolan like he's not gonna not show up here because of him and he's not gonna uh pick the Knicks because of him he's gonna pick the Knicks because of the city because of the marquee franchise ring that it has around the league and for his own career build right to to bring the Knicks to the promised land will be more worthy than three of his Warriors titles combined everybody says right so I personally I don't know how I got here Duff but I don't care I don't care about Dolan and if he's still hanging around, it'll feel like he's still the guy in charge. And if he completely sells and he's gone, and, like, the Knicks still are trash, what are we going to say? Like, this new guy's trash, make him sell too? So, like, I don't know. I just, I don't really care about Dolan. Is that weird? Kind of. You don't think it'll make a difference to no, the player who, who the owner of the team is? And you know what? Ian Begley uh, on Zach Lowe's podcast the other day also said something that was kind of interesting. He's like, one thing players actually like and don't really – speak about too much is stability and you know if the Knicks are in the middle of this giant change of who's running their company not even who's running their basketball team but who's running their company is that something that might even scare a guy away like you know is this guy gonna move Madison Square Garden like they talked like they might a couple years back like those maybe are the things that would keep a guy from coming like I don't know like if you're Kevin Durant you're now more important than James Dolan in the grand scheme of things or in the public eye you don't matter James Dolan doesn't matter anymore. He'll yeah. find a way to insert himself into the Dude, he into the conversation, he either inserted, on purpose or accidentally. Like he, he, I feel like he's the NBA's Roger Goodell. He hasn't inserted himself in like literal years. Like since since the, before Phil Jackson came, he hasn't done anything in regards to the Knicks basketball team. He hasn't done a thing. He did not the, directly with the basketball team, he but didn't did he just ban interviews. like another reporter for saying something bad about him? He doesn't allow Frank Isola or anyone from the Daily News into the into the garden. Whoop de do. We still have like sixty six reporters there every day. Like what's I don't know. Daily News and the New That's York just Post like weird put out petty these headlines. shit. Though. Like who cares? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really care. It's weird. I don't know how I got here, but that's how I feel. I think it makes a difference to the player because I. I believe it was on Simmons' podcast. He was talking about how there was a there was a legitimate chance that LeBron and Bosh were going to go to the Knicks, and then all of a sudden, like Dolan and I think it was Donnie Nelson come into the come into the meeting, and the, Don, he, he was like just a, a dickhead about it, like he was a clown. And they were like, "This is the guy, like." This is who's going to be running this team, and he—they kind of had this come to Jesus moment, and they were like, "We can't do this," and then left. I mean, yeah, that it wouldn't is... surprise me. Dolan's like—I don't know—he has been known just to be a bad owner, and he just is. It's like just a fact of the matter. And the other thing, like I don't know, the the way I see him inserting himself in the storyline is like scheduling conflict because he booked his band at MSG. On a, on the night of a home game. 
But like that's the stuff that could still happen if he owns the building and controls the booking. Right. Or yeah, even you know, that he'd be go, he'd be told to go kick rocks, man. Come on. The thing is though, I think like, if he sells is, his is team J- and owns the building, he'll have no authority. Like from the NBA's perspective, like Adam Silver. But he owns the building. I, I could see I could see him being just a real dick and like, oh yeah, you don't like it. You know, move arenas. You know, go kick rocks. Like I don't, I don't yeah, give a fuck. Like, my building, my building. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, but he loses on nearly the nearly 80 percent. I would say of MSG's value is probably basketball because of how many games they play there a year. Well, they still have the Rangers, and they won't lose a single concert or or, or any auxiliary show like that if the Knicks yeah. ever move. No, I, he can still make money off of it. The thing is, won't be the, as much. With the, but he can still from, make money. with the report from Bill Simmons, basically was that he loves the entertainment industry and that. Him selling portion of his company, which is the Knicks, if he sold the Knicks part of his his company, he would be able to now invest that money into more of the entertainment things on in Madison Square Garden. He would be able to whatever he's gonna do, man, create better stages. I don't I don't freaking know what he plans on doing, but it's all in regards to the entertainment, to the music, to the comedy, to all that stuff that goes on at MSG that's not hoops. So, like, it makes sense for him to do it from an investment standpoint. But I also, I just don't see it happening. Like, I don't think he wants to give up that equity, like give up that clout that he has that no one even respects him for. But like to him, that still means something in like in his eyes, in his reputation. I don't think he's letting go of that for nothing because there's 30 freaking franchises, man. That's why the Clippers were, they got sold like, like Frank said, like four times past their value. Like, Yep. He's not giving it up. Like that's why. That's also why I, I think I don't care. Like he's not selling the Knicks. Like it's yeah. not going to happen. And until unless, the freaking unless report happens, I'm not ridiculously, which I don't see happening. Like I'm not going to believe it until it happens. And I don't really care, in because I think Scott Perry and I think Steve Mills, even though they were like Mills was here for some bad shit in the past, like I still think that those guys have control of the situation now. Dolan's like, yo, I tried to do basketball stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sitting back. And I'll let every all the fans get mad at everybody else, and they're, somehow they're still mad at him. But he hasn't done anything since before Phil. He hasn't done anything. But then, if he doesn't sell the team, that narrative won't ever change. Like he'll always be the lightning rod. He'll always be that villain. So in if, my if mind, Kevin, like if Kevin till Durant the day sides, I die, I will sides, remember this, and I will think of him that way. Does if Kevin Durant sides, does he get credit? Like does James Dolan get credit, or does it? In spite I won't of, give him any credit. It's in spite of him, right? So what does it matter? Exactly. So what does it matter? The only reason this is a conversation is because there's a big-time free agent who 100% controls his own destiny after this year who may be interested in choosing the Knicks. If like, if this wasn't going to happen, this this report doesn't come out, none of this is a thing right now. I don't know. I still think the Knicks being sold would be a big deal, but... How come it hasn't been picked up by like any other sources? Like I'm not saying Bill Simmons has some BS sources right here. I'm just saying like this has not been a conversation anywhere else other than him putting it out I, on his podcast and then MSG immediately saying that's not even close to happening. Well, I mean, I feel like it's actually been talked to exhaustion because I feel like a couple of years ago, the same kind of talk, like two or three years ago, the same kind of talks are abound. But like even to that point, like it was kind of the same as it is now, very, very hush hush. Like only you only heard it here or there. But- Either way, I, I kind of agree with you, I guess, in the long run. Uh, I guess because of past transgressions, I just want him gone. But I, I guess I, I'd agree with you. I don't think it'll make much of a difference either way. Unless it's Jeff Bezos. 
he, that he could make the Godfather offer. <laughs> Bezos what comes in. Donald Trump. He's got, <laughs> no way. You don't he have loses, that kind of cash. They wouldn't let him. Loses yeah, the election. Twenty loses the twenty twenty election. Just buys the next instead. They wouldn't even. You don't have him. that kind of cash. Adam, Adam Silver would <laughs> literally. Adam Silver would say, yeah. "Oh, Donald Trump, you could buy the Knicks. You have to move him to Alaska." <laughs> if if Adam Silver let that happen, he would he would be a pariah. Yeah, he would immediately be fired. I think I think LeBron James would and like Steph Curry and all these guys they would they would start protesting then. That would, they might honestly boycott. Yeah, like make that. their own league. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I would watch they, when they play. They just all go. Yeah, we're we're signing G League deals. Sorry. When they play, I'll let anybody know right now. I'm following the talent in basketball. Wait, that would be sick if everyone was like, "Screw this, we're going to the G League." <laughs> but no one, still, no one's going to the Westchester Knicks. Like, even they've been shunned. Oh man! So I don't know, Duff. What do you What do you think? Give your Give us your last thoughts. You last us Knicks fans as a non Knicks fan, like somebody who can kind of be subjective on this crap or objective, I should say. Like, uh, what, what do you th- What do you think? What do you think could, should, would happen? I, I don't know. If he's If he's around like that and he still has control of the building and all the logistical things of who can get in or out, and who's banned and who's not. Like that, that still carries weight, and we know he's been reckless with that in the past. Like you're, you're right; he has kind of calmed down with it. But in my mind, that's always who the that's always the guy he's going to be, and the Knicks will always have this sort of aura around him, unless unless they do have like some type of significant success. Like, you know, if let's you know, just for argument's sake, he does sell the team, and and uh, and then KD comes, and then you know, sometime during KD's stretch, he makes it to a Eastern Conference, uh, Eastern Conference Finals, or something like that. That to me would sort of cleanse the Knicks of some of that negative energy, um, or p- the the majority of it for sure. Um, but until that happens, like he's always going to be the scapegoat. He's always going to be the guy. The guy I point I point the finger at personally because it's top down. Like we see it over and over that until you have good ownership, you really can't be a successful team. Like you you look at the Sixers, like they went through that whole process thing, and everyone's like, "What the hell is going on?" and blah 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 but look at them now like it in my mind that's the correct course of action that was the right thing to do for that franchise and it it seems so ridiculous at the time but you look look at where they are they're gonna they're gonna finish in the top four again this season probably and then last year they made a three seed they won 52 games like they're still looking for that playoff success but the core of this team is still young so it's you know i gotta have that sixers piece in there but that that is essentially my point where you it's a it's top down like you hear it and it sounds cliche but it really makes a big difference in the culture of a company or a team what do you know the owners of the sixers or something <laughs> i might have met them <laughs> once or twice here there we got no, drinks fair fair <laughs> enough um speaking of that you know let's do a tease here right we'll do a little teaser uh speaking of duffy meeting people or knowing people uh, Duffy will have some stories from for us at the end of the podcast about All Star Weekend. How about that for a little teaser? A little story time. Yeah, it's not it's not like a Mike Greenberg teaser or the Greeny teaser they do on the Simmons podcast. Since we were talking about him before, him and Rosilla will do those over the top fake. Actually, they're honestly not even over the top. They're honestly so accurate. <laughs> the Greeny <laughs> teaser. You know, what if I told you that John Lucas Duffy's close personal friend told him the inside scoop on the biggest NBA story of the summer? The the biggest NBA story you're not talking about right now. Hang tight, and we'll talk about that about an hour into this podcast. <laughs> Anyways, we got some more stuff to talk about, more NBA things. Duff, Frank, and myself, Pete, here. Uh, let's talk about the top of the West. 
It's important. I think it's important, at least. I want to believe it's important. And it's not quite the same as it was last year. Last year, there was the Houston Rockets, the number one seed in the West, who we all knew were the number one contender, who were going to get that title fight at WrestleMania as long as they did their job and they were able to face the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. I guess it would have been at the Royal Rumble, right? Because it wasn't the finals. It wasn't. Well, anyways. Um, This year, (laughs) it's a little more interesting because we have the Thunder. We have the Nuggets. We have the Rockets getting healthy again. The Warriors still sit up there, but their drama is at a higher level than it's ever been. Their health is more or less good, but these guys just don't seem to have the same exact spark they've had. So it it is a little bit interesting, but I think everybody and their mother all believe the Warriors are still a favorite. So, Frank, I go to you. If you had to pick one of these teams, one of these top five, six teams in the West, to be the biggest contender when it comes to facing the Golden State Warriors, if you're the Warriors, who do you want to see the least? However you want to break it down, what is that team for you in the West? I think you guys know where I'm going to go with this. If you listen to this podcast before, you probably know where I'm going to go with this. I'm following you right there, Frank. It's the Thunder, baby. Uh, Paul George playing out of his mind this year and uh, really picking up for whatever Russell Westbrook is lacking for in terms of scoring this year and shooting so poorly. Um, the graphs of like his last 10 games for like the last, uh, you forget it, for like the last 20 games of like 30, 30 plus or like, you know, it, like the minimum point total is 27 to 28. And he's just been balling out, you know, playing the same quality defense that Paul George is known for. And, uh, man, they defend so hard. Uh, Harder than most teams, I think, like just from an effort standpoint. And they have a lot of talent as well. Um, I think all the moves they made in the offseason have pretty much panned out pretty well for them and how they saw it going. I think maybe nobody really saw exactly how uh, Schroeder was going to fit but I think a lot of people were intrigued by it. And uh, it's been a great experiment so far. He's, you know, alleviated some of the crunch time ball handling and some of the things in that nature. And it's been really big for them. I think the healthier they get, like I still want to see this team with their best individual defender who hasn't played a single game since who even knows when last year, like Andre Roberson, if he comes back and is 85% the defender he used to be like, you almost have to count him out at this point. Is he not supposed to back at all? I don't know. I'm just saying, like, in general, like you can't really put too much stock into him at this point. Yeah, and it gets to a tipping point. Like, if he sits out so long that, like, injecting him late into the season might just not be a chemistry issue. Yeah. Kind of like what they were talking about with Gordon Hayward last year. Yeah, but, like, I, I guess just even from, like, a, an on-paper standpoint, I guess I would say then, you know? Well, you could even just um, add how Markeith Morris is joining the squad. Yeah, I, that, I was, that was my next point I was going to make. Like they, They've upgraded the ancillary pieces this year and kept the main guys, and it's showed off. Uh, they pretty much just got a, a P-pad upgrade. So, yeah, I think it's the Yeah, Thunder. absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm with honestly, you on that. I, I don't even think that anyone else is really too close the, like, and I know it's kind of like a running joke on this podcast about the Rockets and not getting out of the first round, but just from like a matchup perspective, like they can hit 33s on a night, you know? Yeah, the and variance that's, is so ridiculous. If, if they just go crazy for a whole series, like could they beat the Warriors? Yeah, I guess. But like if I was going to put money on it, 
I would put my money on the Thunder. Just having yeah, the, an actual chance. The Thunder have different dimensions in how they can beat a team, whereas for the Rockets, when you, when you look at that matchup against the Warriors, it really comes down to, well, they're just going to have to shoot the shit out of the ball. Yep. That's it. And yep. we, we saw that last year, and it was it was essentially the same thing. And then yeah. they missed 27 See, you know straight what? threes. Like That's the thing about variance, right? It can, I kind of disagree. Know, you can go really high or down low. I kind of disagree with that's how they be, that's how they were hanging with the Warriors last year. I think they were hanging with the Warriors because they were out physicaling them. Like I think the likes of PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker, and Trevor yeah. Ariza that was uh, that was certainly part of it. But that was I feel still was the main thing with, with, part, with James Harden with, taking with ten shooting, threes a game right. and everybody well, else. I mean, only now he's three. taking like on his thirty point stretch. I'm pretty sure he was averaging more than fifteen attempts a game. Yeah, so <laughs> it really it really is crazy. Which. Which actually, real quick, I want to shout that out. Shout out the Atlanta Hawks, popping that shit, <laughs> and that quadruple team with three seconds to go. Yeah, James Harden is literally like all the people that hate Russell Westbrook should also hate James Harden. Gonna throw that. They're the same player. They just do a little bit different of a thing. They do. I'll, I'll say this: they do it very differently. Yes, but, but their they, concepts are similar. Except James Harden. Uh, is very worried about the calculation of being efficient, and Russell Westbrook is an extremely inefficient scorer. That's the diff- yeah, that's the real. But difference. he cares about uh, they. But the one thing they both care about, and is very evident, is winning games. Absolutely, sure. and I think people who say either, like either of those two, don't care, are very very misleaded. And like I think Russell Westbrook cares too much sometimes. And I think James Harden uh, puts too much on his shoulders, especially. You know, late in games, he knows that like he has this choker label on him in the playoffs. Even though, you know, he's pretty much as good as any star is in the playoffs outside of the top, top, top LeBron James, Kevin Durant guys. Like he's still really good, uh, but he knows. And sometimes I think he puts too much pressure on himself. And Russell Westbrook definitely puts too much pressure on himself. Poor yeah. <laughs> guy. guy. Guy just will just start shooting. What's he doing sometimes? Now, so let me talk <laughs> about the Thunder real quick, because. Uh, last year, you know, I th- I think I was on board with you guys that they were gonna, they should have been sneaky last year, and then all of a sudden they get they get beat by the Jazz and they get kind of embarrassed by Mellow, Joe Ingles Mellow, Mellow. <laughs> and, and, and Melo was on their team. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony was a starter for a team in the playoffs last year. Crazy, can't even get signed now. Anyways, uh, people year, wise up. They I, I, hey, everyone's six years behind me. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave <laughs> that one there. Stuff. I'm going to leave that one right there. How weird is it, though, Duff, <laughs> that last year, end of the season, end of the playoffs, we couldn't have felt more negative about the Thunder. You know, we couldn't have felt worse about Paul George getting bitched by Joe Ingles in the playoffs. Russell Westbrook couldn't hit a shot when it was when it mattered. Their bench was depleted. And now we're like, holy crap, this team's defense is so insane. Paul George is an MVP candidate. Russell Westbrook's doing the little things. The narrative has completely flipped on this team. Like, it's incredible. And Steven Adams still flies under the radar as one of the most important bigs in the league. Steven Adams still dabbing in the background of Russell Westbrook and Paul George's all-star photo op. Did you guys see that? <laughs> yeah. That's so good. It's only good because uh, he's huge. To your point, I, I I just wanted to make this point real quick. Uh Sam Presti doesn't get enough credit, man, building that team. And you know what? He got credit for drafting those three guys in a row, three MVPs in the league, but then got so much crap for the James Harden trade. And uh, also, like, kind of has just been like a a toss-up since then. You know, people thought he was made a great move to 
to trade for Paul George. Turned out to be great for both sides, seemingly. But you're right. He really does make moves, and he keeps a team in a small market, which a lot of people complain about. Small market teams don't have a chance. He keeps that team in the conversation, in the running for one of the best teams in the league, year in, year out. Yep, 100%. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get over the fact that he let James Harden and Kevin Durant go, but I, the James Harden thing, I, it wasn't his Durango. fault. That wasn't he his fault. Let Durango. The the fact they, they couldn't retain him, it was. They offered him the money, man. He right. Just, it, the James went. Harden thing was ownership fault because they didn't want to pay luxury tax because reasons. Yes. Um, but also, you know, we were talking about Mitchell Robinson before the the pod and then the night he had. Uh, shout out Mitchell Rob, seventeen points, fourteen rebounds, six blocks, three steals. But Jeremy Grant on the Thunder is he he we we use the word maniacal for Mitchell Robinson. I feel that way about Jeremy Grant too. Absolutely, he he is so energetic. Like he Stephen Adams is like the enforcer. He sets solid screens. He he works hard on the glass to box out, get rebounds, protects the paint a little. Jeremy Grant is sort of like the garbage man who runs around and he's like i have no job my job is everything like i'm gonna try to help in any possible way i can i'm gonna shoot 38 percent from three i'm gonna grab five rebounds i'm gonna get a steal i'm gonna get a block i'm gonna get a couple turnovers for my team and then i'm gonna work hard on the offensive glass and the defensive glass i'm just gonna make life hard for the other team he's he's sort of like a, a more athletic bigger pj tucker in my mind where it's just like he just makes life miserable for you if you're the other team and yeah, that, like, I, having a guy like that is so valuable because it, it it messes with your head. Like you just don't you you're like, oh my god, I gotta go get the shit beat out of me by this guy tonight. Like I hope the refs are gonna call fouls or and or and if they don't, like you're fucked. And he just gets his way. And his his shoulders, like he went for some unreal transformation a couple of years ago. He has some of the biggest shoulders in the league. Like the way he can just clear space in the lane. And really, just dominate his opponent physically. It, it, people don't talk about that enough for Jeremy Grant and the Thunder. And he, honestly, though, he also added that corner three and mm-hmm. top of the key three. Corner like, three. He, he can, he can pull it. You, you want him shooting it when it's open. And, uh, you know, something you can say about their Andre Roberson lockdown defender of, of the past couple of years, you really never wanted Roberson to shoot that three. Jeremy Grant, if he's open for the, especially from the corner, you want him to pull that. You want him to pull that. Yeah. Now, a guy I want to bring up real quick on the Thunder before I, I make my case for my other contender that I think is, I think it's, uh, the, you guys are going to get mad at me, but I'll get to that in a minute. Dennis Schroeder, you mentioned earlier, <laughs> Frank. Uh, he's he's a guy who had a really weird first, like, four years in the league, right? So he came in as a rookie, uh, tw- uh, 18th-ish, late teens pick, right? And I know I liked him pretty early on. If you guys remember, I was a very big Dennis Schroeder guy early on. I was like, this guy could take over for Jeff Teague. I thought he was a Rondo type, didn't see the shooting or the scoring even as much, but I saw the facilitation, the defensive ability. Turns out he's a freaking assassin scorer, and his facilitation's there. It's just not the main part of his game, and he's still in the passing lanes, all that stuff. But he went from this young guy who takes over for Jeff Teague, who the Hawks actively decide to to be the point guard of their, of their future. They say, Jeff Teague, thanks, see you later. Schroeder's our guy. And then all of a sudden... It was, oh, my God, Dennis Schroeder, he's not a starter. He can't play those valuable minutes. He's getting abused. He can't guard big guards, blah, blah, blah. And now he's an a, a important role player coming off the bench, being a secondary playmaker, and he looks super-duper valuable again. So it's very weird for me 
for that career transformation. Really promising young guy. Hand the franchise point guard spot to him. And then all of a sudden he can't handle it. He's a bum. And now he's important on one of the best teams in the league again. Very strange arc for me. Yeah, I think it's interesting to say the least. Um, but I, I, I feel like I saw this like during the signing. I didn't like the, the point about the, the Hawks thing too is like they didn't just hand it over to Teague and, and like Schroeder, uh, Millsap, Horford, Corver. Like they lost all of them all at the same time except for uh, Schroeder. So I feel like a lot of that blame is misplaced on him. You know, like they just didn't have the same team. So like, how could you replicate that success with, you know, like Mike Muscala, yeah. <laughs> uh, DeAndre Bembry, who like is still trying to figure out how to be an NBA player, not trying to throw shade. Like, you know, two years ago when he was a rookie, they basically re- replaced Horford, Corver, Millsap and Teague with Kent Bazemore, Dwayne Tedman, and like, Ersan Ilyasova. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, talk so... about you talk you talk about his career arc. It's almost an anti arc because what he was good at was injecting offense in the second unit, and, and really kind of going out there and doing his thing and like just running the show for, you know, wh- whatever like twenty minutes. That's basically it. He's at twenty eight now, so it's it's gone. It's still gone up, but that's back to what he's doing. So instead of getting those starter minutes like thirty plus, he's back down under thirty. And he's really can, has carte blanche to to run the team in a way he sees fit, while Paul George and Russell Westbrook are kind of getting a blow, and just really picking his spots and being more efficient with his impact on the game, which is what he was doing in the in the beginning part of his career in Atlanta. Absolutely. Speaking of getting a blow, Robert Kraft was in the news. <laughs> oh, <man>. oh no. <laughs> Oh gosh! Oh god! I thought this was going to be the first podcast where I didn't hear something about that. Uh, anyways, Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> oh man! And also with the Thunder, one of their biggest setbacks last year is that when Russell Westbrook wasn't on the court, like they were just pathetic, or when Paul George wasn't on the court, they were pathetic. Dennis Schroeder allows them to like take a break and for them not to completely fall apart, and it's very important over the course of 82 and in a playoff game for Russell Westbrook's legs and shot to have any sort of a semblance of an arc on his shot for him to sit down for like a couple minutes a game. Um, so let's talk about two other West teams super duper quick, and then we'll make our last elevator pitch on why this team uh, should have their best chance to beat the Warriors. So I want to talk about the Rockets really quick, and my thing comes down to health, and it's pretty simple. This team in the beginning of the year was not healthy. They were never healthy. They are just getting healthy right now. James Harden had to go on this 32-game stretch here just to keep this team in the discussion. And when we started these conversations, you guys were crapping on the Warriors, and I had faith, and I still have faith, and I know I'm going to win this bet when the Rockets win a first-round playoff series, possibly two. This team is getting healthy, and this team still has two of the best playmakers in the NBA on their roster and one of the best rim runners defensive bigs in Clint Capella. I think the acquisitions of Austin Rivers and Kenneth Fareed will like really matter and that sounds crazy because those are two NBA rejects. I mean Rivers, have you met a guy who's like, yeah, I'm actually a big I'm a big Austin Rivers guy. Like no one has ever said that ever. Everybody hates Austin Rivers, but that dude plays defense. He can facilitate 
can hit an open jump shot and take to the rim, not at an elite level, but at a level where you can be not pulling your hair out if you see him try to do something. Eric Gordon's starting to hit shots. P.J. Tucker is tough as nails. This team is now on its way back to its peak potential. I don't know if they're as good as they are last year, but I don't know if the Warriors are as strong as they are last year. So from my perspective, I'm still putting my money on Harden, Paul, Capella with this now new-ish role-player uh, tandem here, or like trio, of Fareed, Gordon, uh, Tucker, and throwing Austin Rivers. This team has something to say, and I think when it comes to playoffs, I put them up with anybody, the Nuggets, the Thunder, and right behind the Warriors as still one of the better contenders in the Western Conference. I think they got slept on, and I think they're on their way back. I was really, ha- I'm really happy with the way for it in on the on the Rockets because I actually always loved him when he was on the Nuggets, like the Manimal. Like, how do you not love that guy who has that nickname? It's fantastic. And uh, I, I was talking to a guy who actually had some connections with the with the Nets while Freed was there. And he, I was like, man, why doesn't that guy get any burn? Like, not even on the Nets? Like, and this is at the beginning of the season uh, and before the season, actually. And he was like, uh, apparently he just doesn't know how to play defense. Like, he, for some reason, there's like some disconnect where he just can't figure it out. And the way he explained it is like, NBA defenses can be really complicated with the rotations and and how you sort of turn into like this amoeba defense where everyone's guarding everyone at the same time and you just have to know if the ball goes here, you're rotating in the, the complex zones that they can run. And he, he basically equated it to, you know, some people just don't get algebra or calculus. Like they just can't do the math on it and it doesn't click for them. That's sort of how he was with defense. Apparently that was either completely wrong or it doesn't matter which I'm really happy about because I always loved watching Kenneth Farid and the energy he plays with. And this is the perfect team for him to be on in the perfect kind of role to inject him into where you just got to run at the rim and just catch lobs and just throw that shit down as hard as you can. And then just be an absolute beast on the boards, which he always was. And it was like so crazy to me to, to hear people like lose their shit over Montrez Harrell and be like, yeah, Kenneth Freed is trash. And I'm I'm like, to me, it's the Spider-Man meme where they're just pointing at each other. I was like, Ooh, that's, that's exactly crazy. who I thought of when Montrez was at Louisville. I was like, they're the same guy in my mind. Like, the way they play, they have that same energy and mindset in my eyes. I don't know. I, that's I, just me. I do believe I think- Montrez Harrell has more skill, like definitely better touch. A little bit range, even though for yes, did you guys see yeah, Fareed? he can definitely shoot. He can definitely shoot better. You see, Fareed and he has more like flair to his offensive game. But I would, this was more when Montrez was in college. Did you see? And Fareed he was just dunking threes, everything. Have you seen this? Fareed shooting threes. Yeah, from the corner, dude. Yeah, a no, little from, bit. The, from the wing too. D'Antoni's like, yo, can you shoot? And he was like, you know, I used to shoot in high school. And then D'Antoni was like, good enough for me. Let it rip, brother. And now he's hitting threes. He hit more threes in like two game in a two game span than he did in his t- entire career. That's freaking insane. Some Brooke Lopez shit. Yeah, like do what? I do I want him shooting in a big game? Like I don't know, but that's probably not pretty. Crazy. Probably not. But I don't. If the ball gets to him at the end of the shot clock and he's wide open, at least we have a chance at it. You know, like he'll be sort of mentally prepared. Think about Aaron Baines last year in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like cool. fuck it, it's just something up your sleeve. Holy sh- Nikes! That's crazy. But I think I think this whole thing that you're hitting on here with Farid and, and even like you can go all the way back because to all the big men they've had alongside Hart or even Chris Paul, like those guys are such elite playmakers. I honestly feel like it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Word. Like, like if, it, if Nene it, wasn't 40 any, years any old. Any seven foot guy that can catch and dunk a ball, like that's a fit. 
you know, it's like fair. literally anyone. So I, I don't know how much credit I'm going to give to Farid. I can definitely see the shooting falling flat. Um, but uh, it's obviously like a surprise. Like I'm not going to sit here and totally hate on it. Like uh, the Rockets hate that we were given definitely, you know, looks it's worst right now, I bet. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm not giving up on so, it. I can still, I can still see James. Uh, not not James. I can see see uh, Chris Paul like pulling a hammy, trying to tie his shoe because that's what it seems like it's at nowadays. Damn. So, so damn. I mean, right, if so that's what I gotta resort to for free NBA league pass, I'm gonna do it. Where's your confidence level at? Like, where are you, both of you at now with the Rockets running into the first round? So like right now they are. I need them. I need them to run into. I. I, I like it. I need them to run into somebody that so I. So apparently, like. apparently the Jazz have the easiest schedule through, like uh, in terms of like win loss percentage right. for the rest of of, uh, of opponents, and they're they're the six seed and the Rockets are the five seed. So if they somehow leap the Rockets, and they're only they're only behind by a game and a half and one in the loss column. So if they somehow leap the Rockets and get the five seed, that brings Rockets down to the six, which means they would match up against the Thunder, and I. The way we've been talking about the Thunder on this pod, I would have to take the Thunder in that series with home court advantage and Paul George playing the way he's playing. Because really, he he's like the, the way he's putting up numbers, like they're not as gaudy offensive numbers as Harden's putting up. But he makes up for that by leading the league in steals. Like so, that defensive effort, like he can get you the bucket and then shut down, like and not go- shut down, but try to contain James Harden on the other end, which would be a daunting task, but. If he's, you know, people are serious about throwing him into this MVP conversation, that that better be the type of effort we get from him in the playoffs. So right. I would, I would say the Rocket, the Jazz need to leap the Rockets, and the Rockets need to face up with the Thunder, and then I would feel better than if they go, they have to play against the Blazers who got swept by the Pelicans last year. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely more dependent on seeding now. Before I kind of felt like, nah, the West is strong enough; they'll put up a contender to knock them down. But like you said, they're starting to come into their own. A little bit of health in the mix, some good acquisitions that are panning out. Yeah. We'll see. We'll uh, see, bro. So it's it sounds like you shit. guys are obviously obviously you're not going to be as confident as you were early in the year, but the confidence from my perspective does not feel very strong right now. And my confidence for the Rockets is very strong. Uh, I think I think if I was a betting man, which uh, who knows if I am or not, I'm taking the Rockets over the Thunder in a seven-game series. Like I'm going seven, and I, I'll, I'll – I don't know if it's pride or bias, but I'm putting the Rockets in seven. I think that's a, I think that's an awesome series. I hope we bias. get it in, yeah, I hope we get it in the second round. But Portland, Utah, Clippers, like give me the Rockets ten times out of ten, even the Nuggets. And that's the last thing I want to do because we got to move on. We're talking about we got more things to talk about. It's already super late. Just give me Duff. Give me like a pitch on the Nuggets. I know they're super young. I know they haven't been here before. Give me a pitch on them to why they can make a splash. Um, so the thing that worries about me structurally with the way their team is built and especially for the playoffs and in terms of late late run success is their best player is a center and i've been saying it for years now that you you kind of got to build your team outside in instead of inside out the way it used to be um and if if he's your best player and he's not scoring from the perimeter and creating his own shots and he's got to you know bang down low and you really have to slow the game down and really dictate the tempo that it gets harder to slow it down than it is to speed it up in my mind. Um, and I'm not sure that Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are ready to take that that lead on the win. Like 
like Monte Morris is a good, you know, he's a good piece. He's a good young player, but I, I can't see him making like this, this huge impact. And Gary Harris has kind of been hurt on and off all year. So I, I don't see them being a serious contender for the Warriors in, in, in terms of uh, the way they match up. I know they have a great regular season record against them, but you know, Draymond Green said it best. They're 82 game teams and they're 16 game season teams. So it, it it's all about the playoffs is a totally different animal. And they're very much so they're not innocent until proven guilty. They're guilty until proven innocent. No team. That's how it is in sports. But until you earn it, like the Spurs, you know, they're over under, what was it, like 41 and a half or 43 or whatever, and everyone took the over. Like you're basically saying, if you take the under, you're basically saying they're going to miss the playoffs. And I'll never say the Spurs are going to miss the playoffs until they actually do. The same way I'll never say LeBron is going to miss the playoffs until he actually does. does. Yeah, I agree with that. The the quick point I want to make on the Nuggets, just like, uh, we've talked about it sort of on other podcasts, just not about the Nuggets, like the curse of depth. Uh, right. They have a ton of depth, and, you know, like it plays out in the regular season, but in the postseason, who really knows if it pays off at all? Like who's their yeah. eight, you know? Who's their who's their strong eight? Who's their big seven guys who are going to be playing 30 minutes each? Now, for sure, we've seen the Raptors run into that problem, and uh, it's possible the Nuggets are a candidate for that as well. Uh, but Duff, bringing up the Spurs, what a way to segue our next talking point here. And let's make this um, more of a quick hit type segment because we got some more stuff, some Eastern Conference topics to get to in a minute. But in regards to the West, we have these first six seeds very much so locked in, if you ask me. Golden State, Denver, OKC, Portland, Houston, Utah. I don't. I think I think we're all pretty confident those six guys are going to make the playoffs, those six teams are making the playoffs. That leaves us the Clippers, Spurs, who are currently 7-8, and eight, the Kings, Timberwolves, and the Lakers. Obviously, the Lakers are stealing all the headlines in regards to making the playoffs. But there's five teams, seemingly, for two spots. What do we think? Is there a team that should not want to make the playoffs? Because it's the Clippers, realistically. They get a pick that they don't get if they make it. But when you when you see the Kings, when you see the Lakers, when you see the, the Clips, the Spurs, what teams do you have the most confidence in? And what teams do you want to see in the playoffs? Duff, I'll go to you. So, the, yeah, the Lakers are grabbing all the headlines here, but when I actually looked at the standings, which I hadn't for t- since we got back from the break, and I saw that they were behind the Timberwolves in terms of, like, head-to-head matchup tiebreaker or whatever, like, what the fuck? Like, we're talking about these guys, like, are they going to make it? Are they not? Like, I, I feel like they, they I owe them no respect until they're ahead of the, f- the fucking Minnesota Timberwolves. Like... It's driving me crazy the way that, like, once I saw that, I was already getting tired of it. I'm like, oh, my God, like, I really don't give a fuck until you're ahead of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like, that that just drives me crazy. So I want to say that off the bat. And, like, the, the Lakers, like, if apparently Lonzo Ball is their most important player. Like, it, it's it's totally bizarre to me. Um, but I got to, like, I, I can't even talk about them. It's It's, like, so frustrating to me the way they've just dominated these narratives. I mean, LeBron is and the Lakers, like, that's just how it is, whatever. But I would really personally like to see the Kings replace the Clippers, and then I would like for the Spurs to stay in and the Lakers to drop out. I think from a content standpoint, that's just pure gold. Like, holy shit, the Lakers, like, LeBron went from eight straight finals to not even making the playoffs in the East or in the West, like, what is what does that even mean? I don't I don't know the answer to that, but I just think th- that would just be a totally mind blowing experience from a basketball standpoint of how we've talked about this guy like he's some divine figure, 
And then I know, I know he's been injured, but to have that, that could be part of it though. Like, you know, he's 34 going on 35, you know, he's not getting any younger. We don't know that this might be the the beginning of the end, the way that people talk about Tom Brady, like when's it finally going to happen, finally going to happen. And it doesn't, you know, you don't see it happen until it does. This might be the season where we, we start to see that. And he, he desperately needs some of that, um, some help from another superstar to kind of lighten the load. And like the way I always think about that is like Larry bird and like the Len bias thing. Like, obviously that's a very different and tragic story, but it really could have extended Larry bird's career and made it, made it easier for him and the Celtics to win more championships. And if they don't get Anthony Davis, which to me, it doesn't look like they will because there are a, a bunch of other teams that could put together a better package, especially if they have, you know, where we, depending on where we see the number one pickfall. So if, if they don't get Anthony Davis and they don't get Kawhi Leonard and they don't get Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, like their, their future is very uncertain to me. So I think from a content standpoint, I would love to see the Kings in because they just play with so much balls. Like they're, they're such an exciting young team. And then if the Lakers just miss it completely, I think that sets NBA Twitter on fire. So I'm going to go the complete opposite way and use sense and just say that it's LeBron James because he's LeBron James and the Lakers. Uh, he's been to, what is it, eight? Not, what is it, eight straight? Nine straight? Eight, I don't eight even straight. Know. Eight straight finals. Eight straight finals. He's got to be there in the There's ever an eight seed that you'd feel comfortable putting a little bit of money on as eight seed. Um, And the Spurs, baby. I mean, just like from a pure talent perspective, not trying to throw shade. Like the Kings, yeah, they got some pieces, but they're super young and still have a lot to figure out. It's kind of like you said, like, I'm not going to take these other teams out until these other teams prove that they can do it. And the two teams we mentioned specifically were the Spurs and LeBron. So I'm going to stick pretty heavily with that. Like, I believe it when I see it. Duff, the one thing I think you missed really hard with uh, your takes there, which I think were very solid across the board, the Kings have become the hipster team of the NBA. De'Aaron Fox, Bagley, Heald, Bogey Bogdanovich. Those guys are really fun, really awesome. I don't think anybody really cares too much if the Clippers don't make it. But where you missed me is the content side of this with the Lakers not making the playoffs and blowing up and it being this big thing. LeBron from H.J. Finals and not. I get that, but also, can you see the eight-seed LeBron-led Lakers facing off the Golden State Warriors in the first round? I mean, come on, talk about content, bro. We're talking about content. No, I don't. I, even, I, I, think, I don't care I if they, they get, get absolutely swept. housed in that matchup. I don't they care. Get housed. Like it's I a sweep. It's a sweep. Care because LeBron's gonna drop fifty, and then friggin' Brandon Ingram's gonna either punch Draymond Green in the face, get suspended, or <laughs> dude, he'll uh, punch Rondo. Lance, like. Steve, Lance Stevenson will forget to score and pull a J.R. Smith. Like LeBron will have a chance in one game to, That's knock, been done. to knock them down. And it'll be exciting. What, like, but we've already what, seen that. I don't, we haven't seen LeBron not make the playoffs since he was like a rookie. Yeah, but we've also seen LeBron play the Warriors four times in a row. And if we can get LeBron versus the Warriors in round number one, come on, dude. And then that, that, it, it, that, it essentially is the that, same story to me, except that, they make the playoffs. Like, they still get swept and they, 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 you know, yeah, they, they stick around for like 10 more days. That like, also I, means, I, what does that do? That also means that they just go on like a 17 and 5 run to close out the season, which means that. 
you know, LeBron and seemingly Ingram, Kuzma, and whoever start playing awesome and they start beating good teams because they don't have an easy schedule coming up. So if, the, if they make the playoffs, if they even become the eight seed, you're going to assume they need like 45, 46 wins, which means they got to go 17 and five or 16 and six to close out the season. Like, I can't see that happening. I think they're going to need help. I think they're going to need well, like the, the Spurs Spur- to tank it. The Spurs somehow. are helping. They they lost to the, the Knicks the other day, okay, yeah. and then they lost to the well, Nets. The next true, night. true, but they, that's just one game. Like down the stretch, you're saying we got like twenty some more games to go. Like I, I need it'll have to be some kind of collapse because they're right now they're they're three games ahead of the the Lakers. Yeah. No. So the Clippers really want to lose that draft pick, bro. That's what I'm saying. If the Clippers make the playoffs, I'm going to break it down for the people listening back home right now. If the Clippers make the playoffs, the Boston Celtics get their draft pick, which would end up being what? Like, you know, 19-ish, 18, 20, whatever. If the Clippers are in the lottery, their pick is lottery protected, and they get their pick, and that would be in the top 14 with chances at going higher. So it should be in the Clippers' best interest to lose – not make the playoffs, and grab another top 14 pick. But if we think about this roster, okay? Let me just let me throw this out here. They get a seven seed, right? We have the likes of Danilo Gallinari, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit. We got Avery Bradley, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, who we were talking about before. We got a frisky little team over here in L.A. Can they give some noise to the two-seed Nuggets? Like, is that a team we'd actually enjoy watching in the first round of the playoffs? Or are they just... No. It's just not worth it, right? No. Get them out I'd, of I'd rather see the Kings. I feel that. <laughs> Personally. No, I think the Kings are the spicy team right now. Like, I think the Kings, with their energy, their couple shooters and Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who light it up. Like, Marvin Bagley has really, you know, proved me and a lot of other naysayers wrong. People who didn't know what he would be in the NBA, how how efficient he would be against bigger, better athletes. He's been looking good, man. So, like, I don't yeah. know. The Kings are frisky. I, I mean, he my, was the best college player in the country last year. Like, like Jalen yeah. Brunson won National Player of the Year or whatever. But then Miles or um, Mikhail Bridges won, like, the Villanova MVP. So, like, the, your own team is saying, like, you weren't even the best player in your own team, but you got the National Player of the Year award. So, yeah. I, I'm not going to remember that season as, like, Jalen Brunson. That was either Trey Young or or Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I agree with that. But uh, I, I would have my answer would have been different for the Clippers if they still had Tobias Harris and Boban. Bobby but I feel and like Toby when they traded them for basically no real NBA assets. Turn sort of kind yeah, of. Yeah, but like nobody now, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess Landry Shamit can play now, but like he's not a piece. He's a shooter. He's a he's a three and he's a three he's a little and three. Piece. Not a little right slice. now. Now so right a little now. slice. So there's three and D guys in the league, but then there's other people who are three and three guys where they shoot threes and shoot threes, and then there are D D and D guys who play defense and are dedicated, but they can't shoot threes. He's a three and three guy. Like he he can shoot threes and he could shoot. Threes. And he gives up threes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so he he is what he is. But we got to keep this thing moving here. Uh, last thing before we get to the next subject here, Duff, you mentioned Lonzo Ball. How much of that little statement was rooted in sarcasm? How much do you actually feel there? Like, what do you, what was your Lonzo Ball sent- sentiment there? My honest answer is I don't know. Like, I, 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 I guess either I didn't or we didn't as a collective NBA community realize how important he is to that team or this could just be all the drama that's surrounding the Lakers. And I have you know, the answer. 
Lonzo was the bridge between the old and young. And now that he's not there, there's just resentment. So you think and, it was a chemistry thing that Lonzo helped out? I honestly, I really do think that Lonzo and Ron as a combo were like, just just in general, just fun to watch, honestly. They kind of played off each other really well. Knew where each other were kind of like at odd times and would be able to find each other on, you know, backdoor cuts and stuff like that. Um, I definitely think it's a chemistry thing. I, I really do think that like, Maybe people don't see it as much as maybe I think I do, but I, I think Lonzo is kind of a leader. I I sure. 100% agree. I'm like a Lonzo. I don't even want to call it an apologist because I think other than his shooting percentages and his Just funky, call it a stand then. And his fun, yeah, stand. I'm a Lonzo stand because other than his shooting percentages, which is his second year in the NBA, and his funky form, I think he is a very good player. The dude rebounds and passes. He defends like a beast. And – I don't see anything that would ever lead anyone to think that he wasn't a fantastic teammate. Like, he seems like the perfect guy you want to play with. He hits you on the open drives. He hits you on the on the fast breaks, open shots in the corner, rebounds, helps out on defense, like, pokes the ball out. He does everything right from a teammate standpoint. The only thing he doesn't do well is shoot, which is important, obviously. But you know what? If he they're 4-9 like- without him. If he had a major flaw or something like that, like he would have been taken down by his dad's antics already. I feel like the fact that he outlasted that and is like still kind of this. Uh, I don't want to say transcendent because it's not the right word. Like, yeah, like Lavar Le- is Lamelo's dad more than he is Lonzo's dad at this point. Like Lonzo, exactly. Lonzo that's need, a good way to put it. Lonzo doesn't that's, need that's his dad a perfect anymore. Perfect way to put it. Yeah, and know. and it, like you know, like to me, that's like something that's like pretty important and it's like no no shot at at lavar just how i personally feel about it like lonzo distances himself from the ball family drama so incredibly well like incredibly well couldn't agree more all right let's move on to the eastern conference here pete duff frank if you guys like the episode of the sports blog new york podcast the nba outsiders chilling talking hoops as the playoffs are slowly approaching uh, go on to iTunes, that podcast app, hit that little subscribe button. It's very nice. It uh, means a lot to us. How about a rating and review? Actually, ah, I totally forgot I meant to do this in the beginning. Ah, I'll do it in the open since we didn't record that yet. Um, we got a new review on the iTunes. Every review is exciting to us because, let's be frank, we don't have a ton of reviews, and that's on you guys. So go out there and review. Uh, I'll read the other review. You'll probably have heard it already since I'm not making sense here with the order. Anyways, Eastern Conference. We have some contenders. We have four of them, to be exact. They're all good in their own ways. They all have their flaws, kind of. Some stronger than others. Boston, we have chemistry problems. Sixers, we have maybe some fit problems or depth problems. Toronto, we have, we've seen this before, great regular season, can't get it done in the playoffs. And then with the Bucks, we have one really awesome player, a bunch of good ones. But they were a seven seed and lost in the first round last year. So everybody has their little bit of baggage, some stronger than others. Obviously, the Celtics' drama has been big. The Bucks have just been really, really fun and awesome so far. So what we're going to do here, we're going to make our pitch for why each of these four teams is the best contender in the East to win the East and then face the Warriors or whoever, whoever would come out of the West, which is going to be the Warriors. Um, so, Frank, <laughs> why don't you start us off, whatever team you'd yes. like. Uh, oh, I'm starting off with the Bucks. There we go. I figured as much. And 
to me, it's very easy. I mean, their best player, Gian- Giannis, however you want to say, Ananapoku, is uh, easily the best that player. Was, that was in- one day, one day we'll get you to say it. Is <laughs> easily the best player in the Eastern Conference. Um, I don't think it's close, to be completely honest with you. Um, like maybe Kawhi, but even then, like Giannis is like Shaq level dominant at this point. Right? Pretty crazy uh, what he does inside the paint. Uh, the addition of Splash Mountain, Brooke Lopez, absolutely one of the most underrated pickups, I think, of probably in the last decade. Like the transformation of player and what he means to the team, like allowing Giannis to be the inside guy and, you know, play the amoeba while having a stretch center. Like, yeah, without and, sacrificing size, he's still a yeah. good fit. Like it's it's invaluable. Like the talent is it, it, regard like uh, even if Brook Lopez w- like wasn't as good as he is, just like the fit itself yeah. was so perfect. Like, he gives the small ball play style without the actual small ball lineup. Exactly, like, it's just so important to to what Hoser is doing there, and to the success of like Giannis just like around the rim in general. Yeah. He's allowed so to dominate because centers are being pulled out to. The- I, I see them sort of as this like revolutionary team that's like they're playing small ball, but they have three guys on the court who are six nine or better with Miritich, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. And, so, yeah. and Middleton. And, and Middleton. Middleton. So that, that and Ilyasova. Like the, the, the other points I was going to make, you're all bringing up well, right now. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, Wait, this, uh, this is Frank's pitch. Middleton Let him finish. Is an all star. Yeah. Like, Middleton was an all star this year, having his best season, obviously. Like, that accounts for it as well. Um, the pickup of Miritich, I dare you to find one person who follows the NBA who's like, oh, that's a bad move on their behalf because it doesn't exist. Like everybody knows that that's a fit move uh, and, you know, all things go well. Like, you know, that's going to be making them a better team. And just like kind of the things you hinted on before even asking the question, like the Celtics have like some chemistry turmoil. And I think they rely a little bit too much on Kyrie Irving being special uh, at certain points, like in crunch time, and like to to just like they kind of need him to be like James Harden at some points, even though they have a ton of talent around him, which like it blows my mind, but it's true. Um, Toronto, I just don't know how committed Kawhi is. That's always gonna scare me until he fully commits for a whole season to a team and looks happy. Like I really don't know how comfortable I'm gonna be getting on a high boat. And then, uh, yeah, I mean. I guess I made my case. Sixers can't even beat the Celtics. Get them out of my face. Oh, shade. Love it. That's a good pitch. That <laughs> well, that's a- who I was I was going to pick the Sixers. Wait, but- before you go on, before you go on, the- Jeff, let me grade Frank's review there. I think that was good. I'm going to give that that case for the Bucks. I'm going to give it, a, it an 8.6. I'll take that. That's a, That was strong because you really – the only thing that could have pumped it up to a 9 is if you gave the props – to the Brogdon, Bledsoe, George Hill, like trio of guards who can play off the ball, shoot, and defend. Like mm-hmm. last year, Bledsoe looked horrible in the playoffs. Like he was bad. He was a reason they could not beat the Celtics. And Brogdon looked like the better player. And I think Brogdon's extremely solid. He's 50, 40, 90, which is just incredible. Um, and I think having George Hill there kind of just helps Bledsoe 
like be able to do a little less when he's not feeling it, but also still flourish when he is feeling it. So if you if you mention those that guard play, which I think is solid and can defend and shoot, like uh, I would give you a nine point oh. Damn. All hey, right. I'll take the eight point six. I ain't mad. All right, Duff, beat an eight point six. Oh fuck. Um. All right. So the <laughs> the the Sixers. Here's the thing about the Sixers that I wrestle with every day of my life since they've they've made all these transactions. To me, they have the most talented starting five in the league with Simmons, Reddick, Harris, Butler, uh, and Bede. Jesus. That, was your take. that was to your take about the most talented starting lineup. The Warriors <laughs> exist. Get the fuck in the, out In the here. East. I meant in the East. I meant in the East. Right. I well, misspoke. That. that was so <laughs> fucking prick. That was so rude, Frank. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The kid gets an 8.6 all of a sudden. My God. <laughs> Kids oh, gets bad, a B. The kid gets a B on his take, and he's f- flipping the fuck out. All, All right, right. B- sit down. B plus. Eight point six, eighty six. That's a B. Um, so this, fuck you. All right. So in the East, they have the most talented starting five, but the thing they've always lacked is depth. Like even even last year, that I mean, they kind of had like phantom depth, but Simmons and Embiid were really like the engine that made that team go. Now they have four All Star caliber guys who can really push this team and and on a night-to-night basis one of these guys can take over and really push them over the edge and carry them to a win like we saw jimmy butler do when he first got to the team and he had those two back-to-back games with the with the clutch game winner from the wing doing the same step back move to the right and now they have tobias harris who can do the same thing they have ben simmons who can dominate the game on on defense and just with his passing and just dunking everything and Embiid is just this behemoth of a man like when i saw him in person i he looks huge on tv i saw him in person and he he made everyone around him look small it was ridiculous even guys his own height looked looked so tiny next to him because he's so thick and wide yeah. like it, i feel like guys usually that big are skinny I, I i i couldn't believe how big he is and and the way it, it really what really like crystallized for me was how impressive his footwork is and how nimble he is around the basket and drawing fouls. So I really think they're going to come at the, – the way it's seated up now, which we'll maybe get to later unless we want to do it now, the Sixers and the Celtics would play each other in round one. I think the, the Sixers are going to come at the Celtics this postseason with such fury after what happened last year and the way they felt they got embarrassed and the way they still are getting embarrassed by not by not beating them and just kind of setting a new tone and, and resetting – this this matchup imbalance that the Celtics have all the momentum towards. So I think when it comes to the to the playoffs, they bring the most talent, and if they're clicking, which the Celtics aren't right now, they have a serious chance to get over that hurdle. And that's really the only team in the East that scares me from the Sixers standpoint because I think they can beat the Raptors and they can beat the Bucks. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying I feel more comfortable that they can beat those teams. But just for that one particular matchup, it, it's so daunting. Even in my brain, I can't imagine how it is for the players. But I think coming out of the East, they're the most interesting because they would be the best matchup for the Warriors. Wow. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty Pretty good. good. Uh, All right, so... I apologize apologize for being so rude at the beginning. You know I'm going to misspeak. You know. You know I am. But you know, I feel like I made you better by doing that. You really brought it. you out. You certainly traumatized me. You took the adversity... You took the adversity and you rolled with it. You made a really strong case. You touched on everything. 
you left out anybody who could be important off the bench. I think you know, even though I, that's not I what know, it's going to come down to for me. I like what's going to come down to, but there is this. Gonna, this is that we always we always listen, look at those listen, pieces listen. like I, someone like Jeff Green who who went off in Game Seven for the Cavaliers last year. I don't see that being the narrative for this team. I don't of think course. it's going to be someone off the bench because they, they have so many guys the in their starting lineup who can just do it for them. You can't, they can't play all the minutes. It is somebody like, you're TJ, right. But the way they stagger it, they can always have one of them on the floor. Correct. They could have two of them on the floor. Realistically, they're going to have at least three is, probably at a time. Is TJ McConnell going to get exposed? Are they going to just absolutely go right at JJ Redick and try to post up anybody they can on him at any time? You know, are they just going to completely sag off Ben Simmons? I think that's the only part the, some of the flaws of the Sixers are the only parts you left out, which is fair because you made a case for them to be good and do well. So, facing the adversity, I'm giving you an 8.9. Uh, Higher than Frank. Stronger. Fuck game. you, Frank. I think the Bucks are better, and I think Frank's case was technically stronger. But if we're talking about making the case, I think you made the case better than Frank did. That's what that's what you got to do. Just leave out all the negatives and focus on the positive. You just sound better. You can take your your numbers. He said I made the better case. Yeah, yeah. Your case was like the Bucks case is better as a team, but yeah. the case I made I, so personally was better. I have a question. So last year with the Celtics run through the Eastern Conference, so they ran into the Cavs. It was very strange where they just like won the games at home, and the Bucks couldn't win in Boston and lost for it. Um, the Celtics won one road game in Philly, happened to be huge by the end of it, obviously, just because you win a road game. It's very big. It was an overtime as well. Does Kyrie Irving, and I guess like an extra year for Tatum, Brown, Rozier, whatever, like does Kyrie Irving plus these guys make them now capable to win on the road? Like is that the word? Uh, do they now? Do you now have the answer? Confidence? Is I don't. I don't know. Like do because have, yeah. of the chemistry issues they seem to have. Do you have confidence in them win on the road? And I might say, actually, you know what? I, I can see them winning on the road because Kyrie's that dude. But then I like don't have the confidence of them winning at home. Like I don't know. Like they're a freaking wild card right now. So, did but do you think that's fair to say they they should be a better road playoff team this year, or do you just really not know? In theory, yes, but. I feel like this year they're not a better team overall because of whatever chemistry issues they're having right now. For some reason, they can't get the pieces to fit or not everyone's buying in. No one really knows what the what the problem is, but maybe we'll see. I, I, dollars to donuts, I would bet you that there's some dramatic shift in the way that they stagger minutes or who plays when or whatever matchups or whatever stuff they're going to run that Brad Stevens got something up his sleeve. I just It's just a matter of will it work and make that big difference because – they're playing Hayward heavy minutes. I don't. I don't know if that's the issue. That's just something that could change, or you know, someone's going to have to take a back seat in the playoffs just because that's how it always is. And how are they going to respond? Let me ask you a crazy I, question. When does Brad Stevens start getting heat for any of this? I feel like I'm is ready to not? to him right now. I, I, I hear like nobody, right nobody blaming Brad Stevens about this. Nobody. Uh, do you blame? Do you hear my, anybody? I, no, I that's a good point. Not. I don't. I don't hear anyone talking about it. But in my mind, I've certainly been questioning him a little. Like it, it, in terms of the one hundred percent approval rating that he was getting from everyone everywhere, it's 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 a, like he's fall, taking a slight fall from grace now because he can't seem to control what's happening inside his own locker room. Um, but in terms of like X's and O's, I'm always going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, he outcoaches Brett Brown. Like, it's not even close. Like, when Brett Brown and the Sixers yes. uh, are in late-game situations against the Celtics, you're just like, 
the Celtics are going to do the right thing, and the Sixers probably won't. And that's just how it's been, and that's how it seems like it's going to be. But in regards to the overall success of this team or lack thereof, they are like they are such a talented team with young guys who were so good last year, and none of them have gotten better. Like Jason Tatum is averaging a couple more points and like having another rebound a game. Like he's not better than he was last year, and I think he's more talented, but he's not playing better. He's not do he's not more productive than he was last year. So I don't like I think there's got to be a point, and especially if God forbid they have an early exit in the playoffs. Like Brad Stevens might have to catch some heat, and like maybe it is he's better at doing something with nothing rather than making something better than what it is. If that makes sense, like no, that makes perfect sense. And and like Jay Wright in college is a perfect example of this because when he has players that he needs to coach up that are you know kind of diamonds in the rough, he always is better at rounding out a team and getting everyone to buy in than when he gets the five star guys. It could it could be the same thing for Brad Stevens where he does better with you know the Jay Crowders and the Avery Bradleys and and get squeezing the most out of the less talented guys because he can get them to buy into what he, exactly he needs but in the NBA you need that top level talent to to really push you over the edge so it, it's a matter of can he coach those guys can he get them to buy in can he control their egos whatever the issue is and we don't exactly know it's just a matter of he's not, obviously not dealing with that in at an optimal level yeah the, the one last point I wanted to make about the, the Celtics, I guess, just, like, of the eight teams uh, in the West and the East that we've, like, all kind of just graced with playoff spots pretty, you know, they've earned it pretty respectively. The Celtics are the team that I feel, like, just the least comfortable about. Like, I could see them getting the old uh, first-round bounce and everyone being like, what? Like, sort of like the Thunder thing last year. But can can you also see them like in the finals? That's that's the weird part. Like I can... honestly, at this point right now, I personally don't. No, I I can't either. I I can see them beating the Sixers just because they're the I haven't seen team. anything else. Yeah. But in terms of like beating the Bucks or the Raptors, like they get the shit kicked out of them every time they play the Raptors. Like even tonight, they lost by twenty three or twenty four, 23, whatever yeah. it was. Twenty three. So, yeah, they got and and not a single person on the Raptors was like a was like a net negative on the court, not a single person. They were all in the positive, right? And but uh, no, at no point in the game were the Celtics like making a run or punishing any one person on the Raptors. Like they, on every level, the Raptors beat them. And it's so strange. The Celtics are like they have a couple guys who you look at who are real like buy-in guys. Al Horford is the extreme buy-in guy. Like, he does mm-hmm. all the little things. He's a great passer, great defender, can score. Marcus Smart, like, name me a team in league that wouldn't want Marcus Smart. You can't. Like, every team in league would want Marcus Smart on their team, at obviously at the right price. And Gordon Hayward even seems like a buying guy. Jason Tatum seems like a buying guy. Almost, he, But Jason Tatum might even buy in too much. Like, he should maybe do more on his own sometimes. I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, it seems like it should work, and it's just not. And at some point, someone's going to get the blame. And it might be Kyrie for just running his mouth all the time. It might be the young guys who may be restless, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum. And it may be end up uh, being Brad Stevens. I don't know. But it's goddamn strange. Uh, like, you think about the Celtics' breakdown of the line of uh, their roster. How how different is it than, than the Raptors? You know, versatile bigs. Good wings. Uh, the best player for the Raptors is Kawhi. The best player for the Celtics is Kyrie. They're both top ten talents. Like they're both really deep. 
They got some young guys who contribute, Spicy P, OG Ananobi, Tatum and Brown. Like they're they're kind of similar. Even Marcus Ole and so, Al Horford are like Spider Man meme as well. Like yeah. it's it's really mind boggling so, right now. I'll pose a question to you. Like obviously not one party is to blame entirely, but like if you had to pick one of the three that you mentioned as, you know, the most efficient this year, who is it? Is it the young guys? Is it Kyrie or is it Brad? I have to go. I have to go with the young guys. I have to because none of them are doing what they did last year. None of them are. None of them got better from last year. I should say because maybe Jason Tatum is doing exactly what he did last year. He's like a couple percentage points off his uh, shooting sh- numbers from last year. A couple more points on like a couple more attempts, so it's about a wash there. But none of those three guys—Rozier, Brown, or Tatum have really elevated themselves. When you look and at And it's a guy not like, just a matter of the numbers. Yeah. It it could be just when you watch a game, like how are they impacting it? Are exactly. they making a big play, taking a big shot, you know, making a big stop on defense? And it hasn't we haven't seen those little moments from those players the way we see them from Pascal Siakam, exactly. you know, someone someone like that who's on a similar team with similar expectations. Yeah, like last year, if you th- if you asked me about Jalen Brown last year, like yeah, he was scoring, he was shooting better than we thought he ever would, but like his his bread and butter was still like energy plays, big dunks, momentum swinging defensive plays, and those things just don't seem frequent right now at all from anybody. He shoots else. threes. It feels like yeah, he's a three he's a three point shooter who tries to put down crazy dunks. Like I don't know, and you look at Spicy P in in Toronto, like. That guy's just all over the place. Talk about wiry. Talk about maniacal. Spicy freaking pee, man. Pa- Pascal Siakam, to me, is like, just a quick mention, uh, is like the best case scenario for like a Jeremy Grant type. Absolutely. I think- yeah, he's basically what all those proto, like those athletic. Yeah, freak athletes that they yeah, have. He's essentially like the culmination of all those players that everyone was trying to put time and effort into to kind of round out those those rough edges and really fashion into a a solid efficient good decision making basketball player who you could trust on both ends of the court to make good decisions Mm -hmm. he's really like he's kind of what Kawhi was in the beginning like it's funny they're on the same team now but like that's that's who that's like I just said that out loud and that's kind of what it reminded me of not a great shooter really good defender Athletic enough to just get his layups close enough to the rim to put him in. Has has Smart a has a go to move. Yeah, he doesn't. T- he I feel like he doesn't take anything off the table. Like he he only brings what you need and and really kind of fills in the gaps. Like he is that perfect X factor for any team. I feel like he's very self aware, and it's a quality that like I, it doesn't get mentioned enough just in everyday life, honestly. Yeah, uh, he, but he's very self-aware of his basketball skill and like what he can do on the court, and he never plays outside of himself. He never puts himself in situations like a perfect example: Russell Westbrook shooting three pointers, even though you know he's what like under twenty percent on the year or whatever it is. Twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You, you never see Siakam in a situation where he's got to chuck a three up at the end. Yeah, and that's a phrase my dad used to always use: is like play within yourself, play within yourself. Don't don't try to, you know, like in baseball, they'd say, you know, don't don't try to hit like a five run home run. Just, yep. you know, do what you need to do when you need to do it and recognize the moment. And that's that's that knack that he has for the game. It's it's really interesting to see. 
It's very it's good. Fun to watch. It's very good. So uh, last thing before we get to Duff stories, we don't have time for the second half of the Eastern Conference uh, playoff people. Uh, maybe we'll get to it next week. But also, let's be honest, we hit the most important stuff, if you ask me, in regards to the NBA storylines. But last thing before we get to Duff stories, uh, rank rank your four. And sorry, actually, wait, before we do that, I just need to say this, and I think you guys both agree. Shout out to the Indiana Pacers. I mean, really. We don't include They're them. Open. We don't include them in the discussion of the big four uh, teams in the East, the real contenders of the Eastern Conference. But God damn it, are the Pacers forty and twenty-one, sitting in third place above the Sixers, above the Celtics, and even without Victor Oladipo, they lost like five or six in a row, and since then have just been rattling off wins. They actually won six in a row after that. They're eight and two in their last ten. This team is doing an absolute bang-up job. They have no real weaknesses. But no real strengths outside of maybe Sabonis Turner. Like, but they're winning games, and whoever has to face them in the first round, it's just gonna suck. Like they're gonna grind it out. They're gonna be a tough beat, and, and good for the Pacers for hanging on. But I don't think anyone has any faith in them. It's just a it like what a classic Indiana basketball team. Like at any level, that's what that sounds like to me. You know, yeah. and if they hold it there, I kind of—I don't know—I kind of am rooting for them to hold the three spot because if we get six or Celtics in the first round, like what an absolute bloodbath that series would be. Like, tell me one of these teams isn't even going to make it to the second round, and then they're going to have to sit out all all summer, like watching in May and June, and into like that will just that that could that could really send one of the teams into some sort of spiral, like. Where you see some major shakeups, it it would be really like I talked about from a content standpoint. If the Lakers don't make the playoffs, if one of those teams doesn't make the second round, that would be extremely interesting. Uh, it would be really Pacers, disappointing, but it would be. The interesting. Pacers are like the little engine that could, you know, like everyone's just kind of looking at it at a corner eye, like, oh, that's key, you know. Yeah, their their main engine actually blew up and is uh, now at the the caboose. It's now being dragged by their backup engines. Uh, from from behind and Darren. Yeah, Collison, they're on emergency generator power right now. Bojan Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, Tyreek Evans, Doug McDermott, like these are the guys who are playing minutes for the Pacers, and they still win games. It's crazy, but we need to move on. Anyways, great stuff today, Duff Frank. Eastern Conference, big four contenders. Western Conference, biggest threats to the Warriors. The final seeds of the West. Also some Knicks Dolan stuff in the beginning. But now, we have some story time. And Duff, let's have fun with it. You had fun with your weekend two weeks ago. In Charlotte, all-star weekend from like what? Like Tuesday all the way through the game on Sunday night, Monday morning, whenever you left. You were there. You were working it. You were meeting people, hanging around the the facilities, all the events and whatnot. So 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 bless Frank and I and our SBNY listeners with some story time from NBA All Star Weekend. So the the number one, uh, so I guess to me it was the number one story because it was the most interaction. I, uh, some people might not know who this is, but it's actually my best friend uh, Amin Al Hassan from ESPN. Uh, we've <laughs> met we've met a couple times. Like Pete and I went to some podcast event out in Brooklyn and. We're hanging out with him for a little while, and then I actually bumped into him in Charlotte uh, a couple times, and and we had talked for a little while. And he he was t- he told me uh, a funny story about how he was on the he was on uh, NBA radio, I think, with Zach Harper. And for whatever reason, over the past couple weeks, like uh, it, it had to be around the Porzingis trade, where he was just trashing Tim Hardaway Jr. and saying how he wasn't, you know, he wasn't good enough to 
to warrant that much money, you know, but he, but, but essentially he was backing it up by saying, but he's a consummate professional. I'm never going to take, tell a guy to take less, you know, all that makes sense. But he was getting calls from Tim Hardaway senior. Uh, and, and it's like, why are you trashing my kid? You know, don't, don't talk about him this way. Like he didn't do anything to anyone. Like he just goes about his business and he's like, well, well, if you listen, like that's kind of what I've been saying. And so fast forward like a week after that, he, he's going out to some, some restaurant with someone he didn't mention him, uh, in LA and he, he goes, you know, the, the, the hostess has taken him over to where they're sitting and he's about to sit down and he looks over at the table next to him and who should be sitting there except Tim Hardaway senior. So he's he's right there next to him, three feet away, and they look at each other, and he had like this split second moment where he's like, "Oh fuck, what do I do?" And so he goes up, he goes right up to him, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I hope there's no hard feelings. I never said your son was a bad player, you know, all that stuff. You know, it, it, it was it was more about you know the value." And he just looked. He doesn't even stand up. He just kind of looks at him. He's like, "You're lucky there's all these people here, man." That's, he just leaves it. He just leaves it right, right like that. And so, I wonder how much like back dealing there is like that when you run in these NBA circles and you run into these players and their families, especially now when we get into these second generation NBA players like you know the Curry's and the Thompsons and, and guys like that. You know, like what? How much? How much? Like, do you really have to watch what you say before it's like fade on sight with someone's dad? <laughs> Bro, I hope I never meet Jeff Green. Holy hell! <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I just gotta say that is wild. That is wild. That's bad funny. I wouldn't, especially like if it was someone more like low key and not famous. I definitely wouldn't be as surprised because like Tim Hardaway Senior's got a profile and shit like that. Like a lot yeah. of people, you know, or even the most. Know? Who do you think? Who do you think would be the most dangerous NBA parent to run into? Oh, the Jeremy Grant and Jerry and Grant's dad, Horace Grant, is probably a moose of a dude still. Oh well, yeah, Horace was their uncle, I think. But oh, he's their uncle. No, yeah, yeah, nonetheless, uncle. <laughs> still. Nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Any family member? Yeah, probably Horace. Who do you Grant. think, Pete? Um, Steph Curry's mom. Steph Curry's <laughs> mom. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I ain't trying. I ain't trying to like throw any shade about the Currys towards Mama Curry. All right. M- I- mine is sort of in that same vein. Draymond Green's mom. Ooh, Draymond's good call. Mom, definitely a tough lady. She's like not she's already getting taken. in Twitter beefs. Like you, you know she's about it. Like I, I, you look at the way her son is. Like where do you think she learned it? Where do you think he what learned about it from? Kevin Durant's mama. She was the real MVP. She is a saint. She's the real MVP. She's too classy. Too classy, but man, you drag plat. She's the real MVP. In the mud, and you find out what they're really about, man. John, she won Jonas the 2014 Porzingis. NBA MVP. What about jo- right. what about Jonas Porzingis? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I'll take him on personally, but I'm not afraid of him. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, I'll put, he's I'll, like six foot eight and a basketball player in his own right. I guess. I want to make one one amendment to to Draymond Green's mom. Her, and then like any parent from the Eastern Bloc, like Jokic's parents, Word. Nurkic. <laughs> Doncic, like any of those, just any Russian, oh, like yeah, Andre Karolinko's parents, like I don't even know, I don't even want to know. I actually heard that Jokic's brothers are like really tough, and like they, he's the youngest, and they've uh-huh. always like were roughhousing him and whatever. I think I forget who did a story, might have been Lowe did like a whole feature on the family, like and then moving to Denver or whatever, 
and like they're roughhousers. And Jokic it takes part, and now that he's as big as them, or probably bigger than them, like he he throws it back at him. But that's a rough family. <laughs> that would be amazing no, if they were like the Gronkowski brothers, but just not fun. They're just no, like monsters. The they're, they're also fun. Adams. Stephen Adams is like one of the average sized members of his family. <laughs> oh, true. You just fuck his with the whole Adams clan. Oh, an Olympic shot putter. But yo, I got another quick story time for you because uh, you mentioned Yusuf Nurkic, and I thought about this Twitter thread I saw. So this guy's tweeting a thread about how his friend. Oh, is this about his agent? No, this is about how okay. his friend's girl, his friend Mike's girl, got stolen by Nurkic one night. So they were dating for a while, the the two people, and uh, she had a friend, so he brought his friend along, this guy that was tweeting about it. And they're at a table, and I guess, like, the VIP situation in uh, Portland, Oregon isn't, like, too crazy. So they're at this VIP bar or whatever, and... Nurkic walks in with a couple other guys that they say look like basketball players. And, you know, whatever happens, Nurkic comes up to them at the table in front of the girl and her boyfriend just looks her straight in the face and was like, come on, you'll have a better time with me. And she straight up went with him. Wow. Damn. Yeah, Yeah, son. Who would have known Nurkic cold-blooded killer like that, huh? That is cold Blooded, yo. That was exactly what I was gonna say. Oh my like, goodness. The dude was like in his cheese, he's like, he didn't even acknowledge us, like didn't even didn't even act like we existed. He's like pure alpha move. He's like, I felt bad for my boy Mike. Rest in peace, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And also uh Nurkic went on to then smack talk Ben Simmons pretty hardcore after that. Duff, any <laughs> other any other good stories though? I mean I'm sure you um you got some other not stuff. too many not too many interactions with the players. Like on, honestly I was trying to mind my P's and Q's while I was there, trying to get invited back to do it again next year, which I did, not to brag. Humble, um, humble but I'll boy. be all star all star uh twenty twenty in Chicago. That'll be fun. Um not a lot of interactions with the players, but one thing, Russell Westbrook actually seemed like a really nice guy uh, for all the shade he gets from the media about being a jerk to them. Like one of, one of the guys I work with, he was walking by, he just complimented his shoes. And then he was, he like stood there for like, you know, 30 seconds, like talking to him about it. Like, I know he loves fashion and stuff, but I guess if you really hit on those points with him, he, he really softens up, which was, which was really cool to see, especially for someone like me who criticized him so much over the years. Um, I've heard and he's the a other fantastic thing, guy off what, the court, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and the the other thing was, like, the sheer size of these people. Like, I was talking to my brother about this, and he's he's six foot. And your brother, your brother's six foot. Yeah. Okay. And he played legit college basketball. We should add that. No, no. Th- uh, this is my brother uh, An- uh, Andrew. Like the oh, okay. he, he was a the manager at Villanova. My other brother Frank played. Okay. Um. So so Andrew, you know he. I was like, man, I can't believe how big all these dudes are, blah, blah, blah. Because I'd never been up close in person. Like, college players, yes. But when you get to the NBA, it's, like, totally different. So he was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm six foot, you're six two. Like, you know, you look at us, and I've never really thought of us as tall, even though I guess amongst, like, you know, civilians in a basketball sense. Like, you you don't think of yourself as tall. Like, we've always thought of ourselves kind of as average. And because we hang around with basketball players our whole lives, and we – you stand there and you're like, you think of Damian Lillard as like not that big or whatever. He's got a, like a good two inches on me. Like Russell Westbrook is a legit six five. Steph Curry's got an inch on me. The only All Star that was shorter was Kemba Walker, who was very slight. Like he he I I can't believe his whole body hasn't broken at this point. Like w- with how aggressively <laughs> he plays it sometimes. Like 
he's a skinny dude. He must be all kinds of tough. Like I would love to just Could you imagine him. trying to stand in front of a guy like he's got to be one of the quickest people in the NBA side to side. It's, it's a, probably so hard to stay in front of. He's he must be New York. And you you stand though. there, you get such a different appreciation for how big these guys are. And like James Harden, like unbelievably like barrel chested dude. Yeah, like, James Harden, big dude. He is so strong. Like I know I've talked about this on the on the pod before. Like for him to hit those step back threes, he makes it look so easy. But it's so unbelievably far. And to have your momentum pushing you away from the basket. It's it's incredible what he can do on the court with a jump shot. Like every everyone talks about, like the big guys. You know, you heard me lamenting about Embiid and how he made Dirk look small, who's a legit seven foot. So, uh, and the other thing, LeBron James. Like people talk about all the work he puts into his body and stuff, and when you look at him, it's so clear that he is. He he makes Giannis look small when they stand next to each other. Like Giannis is taller than him, but. LeBron is like twice as wide. It, his body—I'd never seen anyone who looked like that in my whole life. I, You're I believe, saying LeBron thick. I believe yes. the proper term is a brick shit house. Yes, like that—that that is the perfect <laughs> term. It—it it didn't make any sense. Like, and there's not a single ounce of fat on his entire body. It like, it—it it didn't make any sense. Like, even seeing it multiple times over and over, like him five feet from me, I couldn't even understand how his body looked like that. It, it it didn't look like any human person I'd ever seen before in my life. He Even next to these other freakish NBA athletes, like he still was the one who stood out to me as being the most physically gifted. And it, we talk about it all the time, but like when you really see it that close, it's, it's astonishing. That's pretty cool. That is neat. So hopefully next year you come back on the pod with some equally as great stories, but maybe even some more great stories, more connections, hang out with some more close personal friends. Shout out to Mino Hassan. That's good stuff, man. Duff, and hopefully you get a you get a plus two for your boys Pete and Frank next year. How about that? Hey, that'd be dope. I'll put the word in. Hey, there we go. I'll work for I'll work for whatever you know. I'll work for free. Yeah, I'll do no, something. I'm just kidding. I'm a professional. I don't work for free. All right. Anyways. All right. Oh shit. All right. My bad. We gotta we gotta go. We gotta go. It's got late here. Um. Good stuff, Duff. I'm glad you made it home safe and had a great All-Star weekend. We're in the playoff push here, people. It's it's getting real. It's getting real. Uh, number one thing, really quick, first thing comes to mind. Number thing, one uh, number one thing you want to watch in the last 20 games. What is it? Uh, number one thing in the last 20 games. Paul George secured the MVP. Oh, okay. Like it. Duff, what do you got? I had something for this, and then I forgot it. I was going to say something. Um, was it because my answer was so good? Basically. Okay. Uh, I, I think it, the number one thing is really just how this seeding is going to shake out. Like, it, I feel like this year, like not a lot of emphasis has been put on it in the past. Like, As long as we get home court, we don't care who we play, or you see – you know, you've seen the Spurs do it. You've seen the Cavs do it where they just kind of, you know, we're not worried about seeding. We want to rest and blah, blah, blah. I think this year it makes a big difference. Like we were talking about in the 4-5 matchup with the Sixers and the Celtics or with the 5-4, or five, four, possibly 6-3 matchup with the Rockets and the Thunder. Like we, you know, we, we were like half joking before, but I think that does make a huge difference. And then obviously 
I hope the Kings get in and then we'll see whether the Lakers can make it or not. Like I, I really believe that they're going to need some help down the stretch. The Western Conference is just an absolute beast. Good stuff. I want to see Mitchell Robinson continue to block everybody on the court. Uh, um, but other than that, good answer. The Sports Block New York podcast, Duffy, Frank, and myself, Pete. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day and great rest of NBA season. We'll be back soon with some more content.